Listening to the Food Talk Show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson, and for the next half hour or so, we're going to be talking all things food and drink as usual. And I'm joined by my fellow presenter, Ollie Lloyd of Great British Chefs. Hi there, Ollie. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, good, good. Um, we've got two lovely guests, as always, uh, today, and they are Joe. I've forgotten how to pronounce your surname now. You told me earlier and I've forgotten as well. Vero? Virod. Virod. Yeah, Virod. I'll see what I know. <laughs> Joe Virod of Ruby's in the Rubble, uh, a favourite brand of mine. And Karen Cunningham of Generation Juice. Welcome, Hi. Karen. Um, before we move on to Joe to start with, food waste, constantly in the headlines, isn't it? It is. It is. It... I don't think it really was in the headlines a year ago, but somehow it's become something that we're all focused on. And it's interesting, we just completed in July some research into consumers' attitudes towards a whole range of things. And one of the questions we asked was about food waste. And the statement we asked was, um, how much do you agree with the following statement? I'm actively trying to reduce my food waste. Now, interestingly, almost 70% of the UK agree with that statement. And I think, you know, there's no way that would have been the number 12 months ago. So I think food waste has become 70%. 70, 70, right. which you know, obviously goes up even further when you head into the more foodie communities sure. where they're spending more money on food and they care more about the ingredients and the produce and that kind of stuff. So it is it's math. It's the mainstream consciousness. Yeah. And look, I think it boils down to, you know, the number of articles we've had about, you know, salad bag waste and all that kind of stuff. And, and you know, supermarkets, you know, buy one, get one's free. How much is thrown away? And I think that there are two issues with this. I think one, people are getting the economic issue, which is you are throwing away a lot of money. Um, and secondly, you've got the environmental one, which is that ultimately, you know, you spend a lot of energy and resource to For make me, this stuff the and throw it away. I feel guilty when I, you know, have to throw food away. I don't, I'm not talking about things where I've left a little bit on the end of my plate. I'm not so worried about that. It's when I'm throwing away perfectly good ingredients because I haven't had time to eat them and I've st- I still feel very very guilty about it and I think a lot of people do I think so uh, and and you know I think and what's you should, interesting maybe. is maybe you should feel but, guilty but what's I think what's interesting is I think a lot of people are in denial on this because when you ask people you know to what, how much you're actually throwing away a lot of people say oh I don't find myself throwing away a lot and yet we know that's not true based upon the data but the only reason why I really notice it now is I've got one of those that they, the council come and take our food waste you know you've got a food bin thing and that's the only reason why I've really started to notice it because I do, we have to separate it out. Whereas before I didn't separate it out and now it's very visual to me. I can actually see it. You know, and bread is, is a big thing that I waste a lot, I'm afraid. Do you know, but what's interesting is, so the because statement we tried was, I, I often find myself throwing away food. Only 5% of the UK strongly agree with that statement. Now that's not true. Of course it's not. But no. so I think there's kind of, there's a bit of, I think people are now aware that they should be doing more but I think we're all probably in denial about how much we're still throwing away. Um, I'm, I'm about to love this statement. I mean, we have worms. Um, You've got worms. We've got worms. I've seen we've got, you we, eat. We, 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 We've got a wormery. And actually, that's that's quite a fun way, I think, of actually dealing with, you know, with some food waste and stuff. Um, 
But, I mean, it's a massive problem, and I think people are aware of it. But obviously, we're coming on something which is a really good example of a creative use. But stats say that over a third of all produce, so that's a third of all produce, doesn't even reach our plates. So we, we, we must be throwing stuff away before even... Yeah. As in, it's bad planning, you, or, end, yeah, up, bad you planning. end up buying an extra thing of salad and it ends up rotting in its plastic. And do, do you think that's what's leading to the demise of the big shop, that my mum used to call it? I you think, know where you go once a week and you fill up on everything for, for the week? Because there definitely is the people making... I th- I, well, I think people are beginning to understand that actually food is better eaten fresher. So, mm. you know, if you want fresh fish or you want really, really good quality meat, you know, if you're having a chicken on a Sunday, you know, you're not, you don't want to buy it on a Monday. You want to buy it on the Friday or Saturday. So I think I think people are starting to go to more specialist shops and people are starting to source different things in different ways. So veg boxes, mm. you know, there's a whole lot of things that are coming in in different ways in order to get people closer to better produce fundamentally. Hmm. Um, I know, Joe, that, that the food waste element is, is part of why Ruby's in the rubble is around. It's something that annoys you, isn't it? Or worries you? It's not even it's so better. much a part. It's the the whole the purpose of, of Ruby's in the rubble is to really provide a practical solution to food waste and a, and a delicious solution to food waste as well, which is something we're really proud of achieving. And um, I suppose to go back to your earlier um, statement and fact that a third of all the produce grown never reaches our plates that's completely true and it's it is actually coming predominantly from farms from from upstream of supermarkets or downstream even from supermarkets and it is systemic to the way our, our food is grown and distributed into the big supermarkets and i think the the breakdown is about 40 percent of, of food waste occurs at home a very small percentage at a supermarket level because they will, they'll do things like discount it, obviously, and redistribute it to charities and have staff shops and things like that. But most of it is occurring at the farms, and it's due to things like supermarket criteria, so aesthetic criteria, things being overripe or underripe, so they mm. can't last through a supermarket supply chain, and um, simply being in overabundance. You mm. can't control a plant and how much it grows, and you see that at home in your garden if you grow fruit and veg at home, if there's been been lots of rain or right now I think everyone's not having very much from their garden and that's the same at the farm but I think people are just so used to having everything at their fingertips and we're not we don't really we're so out of touch with with where our food comes Mm. from and that's another really strong element of what Ruby's is trying to kind of do is use the brand as a positive platform to just to discuss these things and Mm. to remind people that you know, fruit is is imperfect. It's not waste. It's just not. They don't all look the same. And yeah. trying to remind people of those really simple, simple things. So, so I live in Kent, and we've got um, an incredible company called AC Gotham that 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 that's it's got a very long history. I think they've got seven or eight farms, and they they produce most. I think the largest producer of apples and pears for supermarkets. Oh, wow. They are desperate this year. The, the the weather's really hit them badly and they yeah. are really worried about what they're going to do with all this stuff because because it's just not growing properly. Yeah. And, as and in what can you too do? much supply or too, too little? Too much sun. Just too much sun. But as in, so they're expecting the harvest to be less poor. Less than it should, yeah. So so the fruit's very small and what's going to happen is, I, I presume, the supermarkets will reject it probably because mm. it's not the right size and the right shape and they're very really very, very worried about it. Um, And that's why you're here. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely exactly. is. 
So mm. we work, we, we have really strong relationships with the farms that we work with. We work with around 10 farms now, some in Kent, a big, big tomato farm in Kent called Thanet Earth. Uh, pear They're farm a great and, company. Yeah, they? they are great. Yeah. Lot, huge, huge hectares of um, tomato plants, which are just mind-boggling. Mm. Um, but a real portfolio of farms that we work with really closely with all the farmers. And it is really about being responsive. I think that's part of what Ruby's has always and, and aimed flexible, to be. Yeah, flexible, because mm. that's what's, in my opinion, wrong with our food system. There's no flexibility and there's no leniency. And um, the, because we, we create chutneys and ketchups and condiments, they have a long natural shelf life. And that really enables us to support the farms when they have situations like you just described and sort of stockpile pro, uh, mm. Uh, chutneys and and really work with them in a way that is helpful for them not making demands when they can't Holly, that's a, that's a concept actually that i hadn't thought of before that our food system's inflexible so actually because it's so rigid that maybe that that's part of the problem i really thought of that but so are the consumers which is actually mm. we're all used to having you know the, one of the classic ones want is asparagus we eat lamb at easter like lamb isn't ready at easter it's, it's New Zealand lamb. It's you know you you know you need to be doing really weird things to be having lamb that mm-hmm. is ready fresh for Easter, and yet we eat lamb at Easter, and you know so that so there are trends and histories that we follow that are completely against the seasons, but also I think you know your point is that when you do you do learn this, which is if you are growing your own or mm-hmm. you know you suddenly buy a whole lot of something you know and accidentally you have to kind of improvise, and yeah. it's why you need you need creative consumers actually because obviously what you're doing is the manufacturing end of it, mm-hmm. but the same thing exist with consumers which is you know you've got what we had we had excess strawberries and we made strawberry ice cream over the weekend which was you know a nice problem no i had excess raspberries the other year i made raspberry vodka out of it i want to make jam yeah if i'd made raspberry vodka and given it to my children i mean a complete strawberry vodka is brilliant it's better than jam um i used to have an allotment and i i i um grew courgettes love courgettes mm. but I'd, I'd never realised before I actually had to eat courgettes nearly twice a day for about three weeks it's just <laughs> yeah. so much fun and in the end I was bloody glad when you know the end of that yeah. season ended so true my grandma's mm. just made um, loads of courgette and ginger jam with yellow courgettes it's beautiful but um, she's palming it off on everyone that giving it to everybody yeah. as much as you can but I think but that's, that's how one it of really <laughs> that is how it works and that's how it should work yeah. I mean I, in some ways that's the bit of community I think that you know, we've lost, mm. which is that if you suddenly have, you know, 300 courgettes, the reality is once they're off the plant, they've got a couple of weeks maximum. Yeah. You're never going to eat them, right? I used to take them into work, like a yeah, big, that's, huge, yeah. big bag. And that, so but people it's really would rummage that, through them. It? and yeah, yeah. But that's how you, that's, that's the gift of, of having this stuff. I learned that nobody liked chard oh. when we worked. Well, nowadays they would. You reckon? Yeah, chard's yeah. much it's more gone popular. Off, it's gone all funky again. And yeah, I think about 7% of the UK eat it regularly. Mm, very good. Um, so, so that's the reason for being. Um, so just give us a little bit of a history of Rubies in the Rubble, which is a great name. Oh, well, yeah. So Jenny Costa started Rubies in the Rubble. She used to work in banking and she actually read an article about food waste. It would have been about six or seven years ago now and was just absolutely shocked at the, fa- the fact that a third of what we grow is wasted while billions of people are going to bed hungry every night. It just doesn't make any logical sense no. at all. Um, and also, the you know, the effect on our environment and our climate of food waste. I think the fact is that if food waste was a country, it would be the fourth largest contributor to, to carbon, carbon CO2 in the world, which is, mm. again, crazy. Um, so she was very curious and still continues to be curious and cycled off down to 
I think it was New Spitalfields Wholesale Fruit and Vegetable Market in London, just to see for herself what was going on. And there was huge, huge piles of perfectly good fruit and veg going to waste. And she just started asking questions. And it ultimately led to her leaving her job in banking, getting a mobile kitchen and setting that up on New Spitalfields Market. And at that time, it was just Jenny and Alicia. And they were getting down to the market like five or six in the morning, working with the traders and making really sort of creative recipes each day based on what was being wasted that particular day and selling the chutneys and jams and all sorts of things down at Borough Market. So really at the heart of the food community in London, which was really exciting. And a lot of hard work as well, and a lot of onion chopping in a, yeah. in a hot, yeah. hot, tiny little kitchen. Um, and that led to us getting stocked in Waitrose. That was one of our first supermarket listings, Are still, and we're still working with them now. Um, and just it was a real learning process of speaking to the traders, finding out how things worked with kind of with the farms and just learning more and more each day from from being down in that environment. And it led to them, to Jenny and Alyssa. And you're generating a lot of trust with those those people as yeah, well, aren't you, in that community? Yeah, which also takes time, yeah. yeah. Um, so we, they realised that actually much more waste was occurring at, at the farms and it just wasn't even making its way down to the market. And that's when they not only realised there was so much more positive impact that could be made by supporting the farmers directly, um, but also there might be a viable kind of business model and solution to 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 scale up rubes in the rubble in a bigger a bigger way. Um, so we outsourced the kitchen at that point to a really small, lovely family-run kitchen down in North Devon, which we still work with now. And um, now we work with, as I said, 10, 10 farms around the UK and are working with a ma- much bigger impact. Mm. I'm going to have to taste some in a minute, Ollie. Yeah. I will. I mean, I, yeah. one of the things I'm interested in is obviously you talked about the inflexibility of the food supply chain. But you also have the same issue, which is, you know, you're, you know, let's say, you know, Sue's just picked up the spicy tomato. Yeah. Um, you know, actually, that's now a listing. Mm-hmm. You've got to keep it on the shelf. Yeah. yeah. So if this year's tomato crop is rubbish, mm. you're gonna, you got that's gonna make life much harder for you guys. So, how are you dealing with with that, or has that not yet occurred as a problem? It's a very good question, and that's actually something we get asked really often: is is how will this, how will you continue to do what you do? Um, but that's that was actually what kind of spearheaded us working with farms, the waitress listing, and, and knowing that we had to have a consistent supply, which you, we couldn't have relied upon from the wholesale market. And it's an unfortunately quite sad answer that it, it isn't a problem now that we're not we're really sort of just scratching the tip of of, of even the farms that we're working of, of how much is being wasted each day. It's terrifying, and I mean I hope it will end up being a problem as Ruby's grows and expands and that's why we're exploring different types of products that are made rather than with fresh fruit and veg because in an ideal world there wouldn't be excess in the, in, the, in our supply chain it would be either redistributed or the supermarkets criteria would be more flexible and it would be going to the right places and being eaten um so we're exploring things like our new fairly new aquafaba mayonnaise gonna have that in a minute yeah so that's made with a surplus byproduct from hummus manufacturing so obviously hummus in the uk is people are having insatiable kind of demand for hummus and uh the chickpea water that gets drained away aquafaba aquafaba have you ever beaten it up have you ever beaten up aquafaba of course I haven't. I come from London. <laughs> I do that sort of thing. You don't live in Islington like you do. So have you have you experienced the aquafaba meringue, meringue thing? Oh, I haven't what? made a meringue. I really would like to. But. So 
if you take aquafaba, which is the water that comes out of chickpeas, and you put it into a stand mixer, you need a stand mixer, definitely. So You've got one of those, haven't you? I mean, everyone's got, well, okay, 43% of foodies have a stand mixer, so yeah, I'm going to say enough. <laughs> um, or, you, you know, you can use a hand whisk, but you you're going to be there for 10 minutes, right? You basically, if you beat the chickpea water, right, it basically becomes meringue. Yeah. So it's like egg white. It it's is. basically, and I mean, there are entire Facebook groups dedicated to aquafaba meringue. So if you're vegan, my that's way. hugely useful. Oh, no, it's massive. It's, I mean, I, so I've made a chocolate mousse, which is a Chantal Nicholson from her book Planted, um, chocolate mousse using aquafaba. And it's kind of hilarious because you can serve it at a dinner bar and you say, what's the secret ingredient? You tell me that your chocolate mousse is rubbish, though. Uh, is that just your cooking? No, my chocolate mousse is great. I have, oh, I, I, have a, I have a very rich one, and I have then an aquafaba one now, which is Chantelle's. But. Okay, so we, we let's start with the um, spicy tomato. Now, okay. I have this at home, so I, I have it at home because I really, really like it. Now, I really like tomato chutneys. There's something yeah. about tomato chutneys. Of all the chutneys, I think, I think are particularly nice and deep and mm-hmm. go with loads of things. What do you think about a spicy tomato? I thought it was delicious. I just don't eat chutneys. Oh, God. <gasps> I just scan. No, no, no. But my, but <laughs> I just my, I don't know what to do to you sometimes. No, but my my, my right. Okay. What Listen, I cook at okay, home. Okay. Try banana order. chutney. Uh, sorry. Uh, uh, this this uh, banana ketchup. Powder. I have to just jump in now and defend and, and tell me from no, no, this sorry, statement. Sorry, it's, it's delicious. And tell me. <laughs> I'm just saying. And I, tell me that you wouldn't eat that. So I have that now at home. We have we've ordered twelve bottles at work because everybody at work loves it. It is superb. Banana ketchup. You will never have any other ketchup. He again. looks very confused. <laughs> but it is confusing. <laughs> it's a banana ketchup. It is amazing. No, but sorry. It won why a food talk award. Why wouldn't you be confused by banana ketchup? No, it's well, actually, fabulous. Um, I, I use it as a replacement for piccolo. That, that, that I'm still getting my head around, I must say. Okay. Piccolo. <laughs> Okay, using the banana as a replacement for piccalilli. I'm going to have to try some of that. Because cheese and, and no, cheese and your banana cheese. ketchup is fantastic. You're right. But we made that, the banana. It's got a two-star Great Taste Awards, so the jury is in they on whether see? it's delicious. <laughs> see? I'm, I'm, I'm not arguing, I'm like not arguing about the quality of it. I just find, I just find, and listen, it's, like, it's a little bit like, look, my... That was my, me the other week with cold coffee. I can't do yeah, cold, cold coffee. Yeah, cold coffee. But, but also, like, I probably have... 12 to 15 types of chili at home. Yeah, yeah okay. So, because in the end, I'm trying to work out, I mean, I, I, I just don't use chutneys. I, I mean, think I th- your I kids would love that. I think they would love that. Oh, because yeah. there has got a nice spicy edge. Um, we loved it at the Food Talk Awards because it is it is nice and complex. It isn't mm. sweet. It's got a whole mix of things going on. and and it, But it's very fruity and it is genuinely different from yeah. lots of the other things that you get around. I, I I really like them. And both. I think look, I think the tomato one is delicious and okay, quite right, traditional. But the banana one is just kind of like it's bonkers. It, it is, is bonkers. And it, well, I'm mean, in respect for it being bonkers. We created it have for a specific it, reason. I have yeah. Um, because bananas are the most <clears throat> readily consumed fruit in the UK. I read a fact actually earlier that apparently the average UK person eats 100 bananas a year there's a lot of bananas I don't I can't stand bananas it's a couple of weeks <laughs> you don't know here, the here comes cooked. the real truth no, no, he doesn't like cooked. bananas no no no, no they have to cook he didn't say that when he said didn't no. like the ketchup no, 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 it's no, all no, coming no, out now so I don't eat so I don't like a straight banana so I will never ever pick up a straight banana and eat a banana as like a piece of fruit a never okay. give me cooked bananas give me dried bananas I love all that kind of stuff banana souffles anything you know so I, like, I think that's a really delicious taste but I just hate big. Uh, the smaller bananas you get in Asia, I catch quite oh, like. Yeah. They're sweeter and more. <coughs> but the but the big. I, no, just don't. Okay, let's move My on. My son agrees with me as well. 
Right, what do you think of this then, this aquafaba mayo? You're giving up on me. You're like, I am. Oh, <laughs> Completely and utterly. So this has got chipotle in it, so you should like it, because it's like got a nice chilli in it. Chilli and no banana. No, no banana. banana. chutney. You should like it. It's a I mayo. Did, I... So apparently also, interestingly, mayos are starting to overtake sales of ketchup <coughs> in the UK. So we're, Really? Yeah, in retail, in mm. supermarkets, which is very interesting. There's lots the more sriracha. varieties though, aren't there? Yeah, exactly. Mayo. And ketchup is ketchup, mm. ketchup. So ketchup is declining and mayo is growing and it's nearly exceeded. Do you like that? Oh, it's delicious. It is good, isn't it? Can you tell it's not made from eggs? Not yes, really. Yes, it says on the label. <laughs> no, but not really, can you? No, you can't. It's got the consistency is good. But that's, Thank you. that's yeah. what's ridiculous about the whole aquafaba thing. It's, it's just, incredible. It's so, I mean, another bonkers product. Mm. I'm going to do the rest of the programme without talking to him. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you for that. Uh, um, uh, Karen, your, your thoughts on, on those? Have you, have you come across Rubies in the Rubble before you met? I hadn't, no. Uh, um, today? The banana ketchup, I have to agree with Ollie, I found it a little bit you, bonkers. You don't like bananas. So. I don't like bananas. <gasps> um, but I did enjoy it. I felt, <laughs> I felt yeah, that the, the banana came through afterwards and it was, I think there was enough chilli in there for it to not be too banana-y. Yeah, it's That's good. Not the best, mm. but um, so I did enjoy, it and I it reminded me immediately of piccalilli, and so it was yeah. interesting when you said yeah, about the piccalilli. I could mm. see me, I could see me definitely consuming that. Mm. The tomato stuff is delicious. It is now really I also lovely. don't eat chutneys. I'm not a chutney girl. Um, I do like chutneys, but I did like that. I really like the the kick in that. It's just... super versatile because I don't really have it with cheese, really, which is I suppose what people imagine when they think of a chutney. Because ours is made with fresh tomatoes, fresh cherry tomatoes. It's it's so much more like a kind of salsa almost or a relish. Yeah. So it's great with burgers, with eggs on toast, tortilla chips. It's yeah, so, it's great. Can, can I? So I just need to pick something up here. <laughs> Last talk, week we had talking to you. we had an amazing <laughs> cheese on the show. Yeah. Right, renegade monk. You can't have that with anything. It has to be on. Well, exactly. Own. No, but that's my point. It's like what if you eat good cheese? You don't need chutney. No, chutneys, I don't use diff- chutneys with cheese. I never okay. eat chutney with cheese. Most chutneys are made. With and I'm not being mean about other brands, but most other chutneys are made with pureed or tinned fruit, and they are very sugary. But because ours are fresh, straight from the farm, they do have a much more superior chutneys taste, for me. In my for opinion, tortilla chips for, for poppadoms, things like that. They're not burgers. To go with cheese. I mean, for me, that, burgers, burgers, yeah. burgers, but they're not. To, they are not to go to cheese with cheese. In my personal opinion, this I'm really enjoying the the lingering chili taste. Yeah, of the mayo. I, the mayo. It's it's got like a. Have okay. you tried it? Can you be quiet now? Because I don't remember I'm not speaking to you. Um, so, Karen, don't be, you know, put off by him. Um, so, so you, you were quite keen on these. Now, can I talk about Generation Juice? Because you've bought three bottles with you uh, here. Uh, yes. They're not they're not um, consumer bottles that you can buy. And there's three different colours. Now, my lovely um, researchers have given me a couple of pages of research. I still don't understand what's going on. So, can you just explain what I've got in front of me? Okay. <laughs> what you've got in front of you here are the uh, three flavours that we've introduced for our all-day hydration refresh range of drinks. These are a juice drink, they're not 100% juice. And what we tried to do was was introduce juice flavours in a, a drink that you can quaff when you're thirsty. If you're thirsty, you're probably not going to take a glass of fresh orange juice. So, it's actually, so is it a cordial? No. It's like a cordial, yeah. Okay. yeah. So we have here a, a Cranberry Boost, which has Echinacea added. We have our Rose Pear, which has vitamin C and calcium. And we have our Lemon and Mint, which has zinc. So we brought these out to encourage hydration with the added vitamins, minerals and botanicals. They're low sugar 
low calorie, school compliant. Um, they're only 11 calories per 100 mil. They have got some sugar in uh, because sugar tastes nice, but it's 2.4% sugar, so yeah. Yep. Yeah, just to keep that. We have done a sugar-free version and we have done a, if you like, a full sugar version. But you don't sell cordials. That's not your business model, is it? Well, our business model is is really the dispenser. That's that's where Generation Juice started. Um, myself and my business partner have worked in the juice industry or dispense industry for, it's now closer to 40 years between us. Mm. Um, and we've both worked in juice and the juice dispenser industry has not moved on. What, what is a juice dispenser? Sorry, I don't know. If, okay, so uh, the market that we work with is uh, commercial. So not, mm. we're not talking where you take fruits or vegetables and put them in and it juices it. This is a bag-in-box system. So you buy a concentrate juice or a cordial um, and the dispenser will take water, chill it at the point of dispense and mix it oh, with okay. the... Oh, OK. So, so it's a bit like big plastic things that you see that you can push a glass against, for example, and, and, and fill up your, your glass or... or, or yes, well, that the sort juice of inside of that has probably come from a juice dispenser machine ah, in the okay. kitchen. So it's that sort of thing. If you go into, say, um, a, a, a two- to three-star hotel, yeah. they may well have the juice machine out front. They're quite happy for you to see that yeah. the juice comes out of a machine and it'll be a huge metal box with some sort of gaudy graphic on it, which usually involves an orange being squozen. Yeah. Um, and you can push your, you know, put your glass underneath, push a button and it'll dispense you some orange juice. Now, depending on what system it's using, it will either be, might be a little bit thick and syrupy, might be watery and thin, because all the systems in juice dispensers have used, they're either gravity fed, they have peristaltic pumps, but there are issues with consistency. It's a bit oh. like cola syrups on a gun yeah. in, a, in a bar. You so, know when you get coke from a gun. So that's the world you're in as that's opposed to selling... Yeah, I get it. So so, so that's the world you're in. And, and, and then presumably you're trying to make this tiny little world that nobody knew about, secret world in a way, um, much healthier and more consistent and better, like, like so many other people are doing, but on a consumer-facing mm-hmm. angle. But you're doing it for the industry. Absolutely. I mean, we... The, the target, the core market for juice dispensers, full stop, ours, anyone else's, is hotels mm. because people have breakfast. And at breakfast, a, a huge percentage, you know, will the first thing they do is they go straight to the juice and they get a glass of juice. You'd never do it at home, but you always do it in a hotel. Not yeah, sure you do. Why. And, and <laughs> That's habit. It is. And, and we did, we did uh, you know, years ago, we did lots of research and literally went round to hotels and sat at breakfast and saw what people did. Um now, people are more aware of sugars, naturally occurring sugars that happen in fruit juice. Yeah. Um, and also, we are, as a, as a consumer, whether it be in a hotel or anywhere else, we're demanding more choice. So if you want a fruit juice, I don't want to just be faced with apple or orange. No, I mean, I have to go to hotels a lot, probably at least once a week for, my, for work, and I hate it. And in, I mean, I don't have juice in the morning, but, but it's always the same choice. Of course it is. It's apple. Orange. If you're lucky. <laughs> or, or it's just orange. Yeah. But, but it's definitely those two. Well, the juice dispensers, again, they tend to... The more products you put in them, the bigger the machine has to be. And yeah. it has to refrigerate. And these things are huge. Yeah, yeah. So people don't want them front of house because it doesn't look so good. But they don't want them in the kitchen either because they're too big and they take mm. up pressure space in a commercial kitchen. So what we decided to do was start with a blank sheet of paper and say, well, we know what the issues are. There's consistency issues. These machines look terrible. They're not very modern. There's no choice for the consumer. They're really difficult to keep clean. Because if you think about a juice concentrate, it's a little bit like honey. It's pretty mucky, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's really difficult to clean up. Mm. 
quite a high turnover of staff in the catering industry, perhaps not that concerned about whether or not that's properly clean. Then you get congealed mm. juices. It's, it, you know, it can be very unpleasant. So we wanted to tackle all of those issues. And because we started with a blank sheet of paper, we did try and do it. We have tried to do it, both of us, in the past. But it, it's very difficult when you're in an industry. And I was listening to one of your podcasts, the guy mm. from the... Um, Joe Taylor, who was in a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about the vegan burgers and the yeah, trail mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was saying that big companies, once you're stuck in that... They can't think outside it. You, it's, it's impossible yeah. and it's that whole turning, a, you know, a juggernaut type thing. It's mm. very difficult. Um, but because we started with a blank sheet of paper with a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge of the consumer, the impact on the consumer of these dispensers and choice, lack of choice, etc., and the impact on the business. I used to run the operation side of a business and the engineering side of things is ridiculously expensive. Yeah. Because you're, I mean, you you, you said that it was a sort of a, a secret market. I mean, the vast majority of hotels. I think, other, by, I think by that, what I mean is it's hidden to the consumer, really. Yeah, they they well, just people, don't think about it. They, they just don't. go and get their orange, but, but not actually think about it. Can we drink one of them? Yes, of course. So, um, Mint and... Lemon. Yeah. This is lemon and mint. I do hope they're still cold. Do you like lemon and mint? I do like lemon and mint. Just checking. Is that just after the banana and mm. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure after banana and chili how, how lemon and mint's going to go. But I think probably quite well. Mm, that's Thank nice. You. I mean, so, so to sort of sort of cut it cut across it, really, you, you've invented these sort of bags that don't take up fridge space, haven't you? No, we didn't. We did, we didn't invent the bags. I'd like. Oh, to say okay, so you, so you you found an alternative in in which they can be packaged. We're using the bag in box system is is used across many juice dispensers. Yeah. What we what is different about our system is the way that the the concentrate inside the bag um, talks to the or, or, or mixes with the water that comes out. Okay. So it's the mix and dose system on our. Uh, dispenser is on every bag so there's nothing actually on the dispenser that does any mixing and dosing it's on every bag so it gets replaced with each new fill it's a one-time use so there's no deterioration of the product uh, of the the mechanics of the of the mixing safety and risk is really yeah absolutely but it's 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 more yeah and it's hygienic the juice never comes Mm. into contact with the machine at all so once you've finished the bag you just dispose of it and put a new one in and you put the you've, the fitment is already there you don't need to yep. pierce the bag yep. so from a hygiene point of view you're not changing anything you're not getting any leaks of concentrate coming out that you need to wipe up because it just never comes out the bag mm. um, and we also designed the machine to be modular so that the splash zone the drip bowl all the stuff that we know is really difficult to keep clean ours just pops off and goes straight in the dishwasher mm. and again from the engineering point of view we wanted something that if there was a fault, I mean, machines break. That's what happens. And, in, in, you know, we'd all like to say that nothing ever breaks, but things do. Mm-hmm. If there is a fault, um, all our moving parts are in a smart box. So if you have a fault and the machine isn't working, we simply come and replace the smart box and we do the repairing of that smart box off-site. Mm. So we take the smart box to the engineers, not have the so, engineers driving around yeah. the country. So, Ollie, we, a few weeks ago we had um, Cafoodle and the other guy whose name I forget looking at the sort of back end, behind the scenes, trying to make it easier for the for actual service side. And this is just another example, isn't it? Absolutely. People really trying to work out how to make it easier. And to try and take the sort of complexity out of the stuff and actually mm. almost a specialism. I mean, what you're talking about there is trying to make actually the process run in such a way that you don't need 
you know, your idea of not having engineers driving around the country, you've got a box, you fix it. I mean, it's, it's clever engineering, which makes a big difference. Mm. Mm. And again, um, just like you're doing, um, Joe, um, solving problems that people have got, that's what people are looking for, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. Really. Um, nice. I like the uh, mint one. Me too. Yes. Yeah, so the second and... one you've just tried there is our rose pear, as in rose mm. pear, the fruit, as opposed to the flavour rose. It's a rose pear. Mm. Um, and then we have our cranberry and raspberry, mm. um, which is a cranberry boost that has echinacea in, which, as we all know, mm. has lots and lots. So how's it going? Are hotels taking to this? Are they are they recognising that there is an issue? Or you, or you find yeah, it hard we find to that. Say? Um, I mean, people still like you know, as as I can't remember now who it was I was saying before. Ollie, you were saying about we lamb at Easter. We want orange and apple in the morning. That's what we do. And yep. But the beauty of our system is that it blends the juices together. So you can have orange and apple, but if you take our cranberry juice drink with it, you can have orange, you can have apple, you can have cranberry. You can have orange and cranberry, apple and cranberry. You can blend the three together. You've got a summer punch. Yeah, and all of a sudden got So we're giving more people more choice. It's an ambient storage product. So the customer, the consumer gets more choice. So the... The hotels, in answer to your question, hotels, yes, they are seeing it because they're seeing it for conference and events. They're seeing where they can see one piece of machinery, sure. one piece the, of kit. The other thing for me, I think, um, Ollie, that, that hotels are a little bit behind sometimes in some of these. You know, in some of the trends that we're seeing in other places, they're quite slow, some of them, to pick up. I mean, I do stay in some of the most... Luxurious five star <laughs> hotels. No, I stay in I stay in decent hotels because it's to do with work. You know, it might be a four star hotel in the middle of somewhere up north or Midlands or something. But actually, some of the basic things they do, they just they just don't think about it really, because when we're out, you know, having lunch or whatever, out and about, things have changed a lot. Supermarkets have changed. The things that are offered change, and they're quite slow to catch up. I think. Yeah, and look, the the expectation of today's British business person who's traveling around the uk and checking into a hotel is constantly changing and mm. you know if in the old days you had a kind of i mean i have a trouser press in my room i don't care what do i want that for <laughs> i'd rather they thought I about what no idea i mean i'd rather they thought about juices or, or you know what was for breakfast and and it's amazing they still really put trouser set. presses in rooms yeah. isn't it yeah i mean i've never used one i don't even know how you use one no, no. no. I mean, it's no. technically beyond me <laughs> i mean you know, maybe you put your laptop in it to keep it happy at night i don't know i mean I don't know, but there, there, there's loads of stuff like oh, that, is. and I'm just thinking you just need to need to rethink what people actually want when they go to a hotel. Business people, I mean. Uh, yeah, and look, I think there's there's loads of space for innovation. I mean, you know, some of these hotel chains have started to innovate. I mean, in the end, what do you want as a business person going to a hotel? Fast Wi-Fi. You know, oh, yeah. That's the number one thing, and, one. and a powerful shower. Yeah, Those and in, I, I had know. to hang out a window uh, to just phone somebody <laughs> because <laughs> I was thinking this is all wrong. All of it's wrong. Yeah, it's and not. it's 150 quid a night or something. It's just yeah. all wrong. No, <laughs> I think you, we are seeing people starting to innovate. I mean, our our dispenser won the World Food Innovation Award for the best food service catering product, and that does make people go, "Well, hang on a minute, mm. maybe we do need to ditch the standard juice dispenser or tipping tetra packs into a jug and storing it and all that sort of stuff." It's tomato ketchup and a sachet as well. Well, that's another thing. Drives me nuts. Yeah. Or, or little cartons of milk that you have to peel off. Yeah. No. no. Do you, you don't travel, do you? They don't let you out. 
No, they don't let me out. And, and I have to say, when I, I try and stay with our chefs if, if, if I can get out, and let's, but they, they don't do those small milk things. Good. The last time I saw one of those one, it was on a fox, brought one of them into our garden. I, mean, <laughs> I was like, what the hell is that doing there? Um, Very you know. sophisticated fox. No, I tell you, the, the fox the fox is my favourite. They, they like plastic packaging, as far as I can really? tell. Really? Yeah, they, they like to do Tesco's chicken boxes. <laughs> I mean, we they, throw they, chicken carcasses out the back for, for the foxes. Please don't, yeah, say please don't do that near me. Don't do that near me either. I don't want foxes in the <laughs> To be fair, we have about five of them living Karen, in our garden. where do you live? So. Uh, on the Wirral. Oh, thank goodness for that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, no, quite, no, uh, quite away me. from Ken. Yeah. <laughs> So that's Karen Cunningham from Generation Juice. And if you're in that sector and you, you want to know more about it, it's pretty simple. It's generationjuice.co.uk. And I think from my point of view, come on, hotels, if you're out there, think a little bit about the things that you like to see when you go out and about. Maybe revolutionise your offering a little bit. Occasionally. Yeah, taste the changing. Replace, taste the changing. Place the trouser press with some nice, you know, banana ketchup in the morning. Yeah, I think it's good. <laughs> Suggestions of what you could replace the trouser press with. with <laughs> yeah, happily shared via Twitter. Tweet us that, please. Yeah, what should we replace? Because they must be expensive, those things. I suspect, presses. you know what it probably is, is there are probably hundreds of thousands of these things travelling around on eBay. And you probably, if you went onto eBay and tried to buy, you know, I don't know, 200 trouser press, you'd probably pick them up <laughs> for 200 quid. Because people are like, what do we do with these things? I don't know. Yeah, it's I don't like know MOD parachutes that they... Get rid of for a pound. Mm. The other thing they need to do is sort out the soap and all that stuff because yeah. that's such a lot of waste. Oh. Well, you'll have individual bars of soap and things like that. You shouldn't do that because all they do is if you stayed there one night, then they just have to throw it away. Yeah. So it's completely wrong. Um, sorry. They're getting better at that. That's one of those ones that, that has better. changed. Those, um, yeah. Because now what they do is they have those very expensive ones. What's that? What's that really expensive soap that you get? Something and something. Bayless and something. Like no, that. no, no. That's a cheap Molten, one. Molten Molten brand. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So what they you do is they get those. Hotels. <laughs> no, no, no. What they do is they get those bottles and then they fill, fill them up with soap the in there, pretending that it's the original one. Um, so that's um, <laughs> Karen. You're taking back my Unilever days when I used to manufacture <laughs> soap. I mean, God. Um, generation sun, sun um, Joe from uh, Ruby's in the Rubble. Um, if you haven't tried any Ruby's in the Rubble um, sort of products, I, 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 I think you should. Um, first of all, because it's a good practice. It's, it's. Um, Stuff that would have been thrown away otherwise. Um, and I am still slightly cross that you didn't bring in your blueberry barbecue sauce. I'm so I was, sorry about that. I was that. I so wish I'd looking. Known. I was yeah. so looking forward to it. So I haven't tried that one. Do you think we should have down here? Here are the here, here are the things that <laughs> that these presenters like. So say the producers make, make, get a make move sure on. Yeah. Please can you bring it? You know that'll keep Ollie happy. And then yeah, make sure there's some blueberry uh, barbecue. Because you said sauce. you were stocked earlier in, in Waitrose. We and where are, else yeah. do you we, know? Our tomato, spicy tomato, and pink onion and chili are stocked in sixty Waitrose stores, mainly around London. But now we. We've recently actually got listed in 20 more that are kind of all across the the UK. We're nationwide on Ocado. You can so that's probably the best place to get yeah. all our range. Um our mayos, our vegan mayos are available in Whole Foods and Planet Organic. That's again quite a London focused listing. And our website, of course, you can buy everything. We've, on our we all just not off your website at work. So <laughs> I presume you're not gonna take the spicy tomato home with you, are you? It's so good mixed in with hummus. Every, my, everyone at Ruby's will laugh at me for saying this on Try this show it. because it's like my, my motto, basically. But if you mix the spicy mix tomato hummus. into hummus, you will... And what dip? Not go back. Yeah, it's a dip. I wish I'd never done it because... I was hoping you were going to say it's a face cream or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a really it's a great, moisturizer. Like, yeah, it's a great moisturizer. Great <laughs> moisturiser. Yeah. And it does wonders. For... <laughs> yeah. for anybody that's not seen a picture of Ollie, has a beard. So <laughs> the thought of that. Doesn't... No, it's, it's brilliant it's not... with hummus. Try it with hummus. And with um, mixed into mashed up avocado is a really good no, I, emoli I, as well. I, that, that's, 
That's a good tip. That's a good tip. Because I, I find I have a lot of chat on these at times. We, I'm going now. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> thank you to Joe of Ruby's in the Rubble and uh, Karen of Generation Juice. Um, you've been listening to the Food Talk Show, which is syndicated to radio stations across the UK and further afield, <laughs> as well as being available on Podbean, iTunes, and the podcast app on your phone. I usually say thank you to my fellow presenter, Ollie Lloyd. I will do. Thank you, Ollie, for joining us. It's been a pleasure as usual. difficult today. Great British chefs. If you want to recommend any future guests, someone doing something groundbreaking in the food sector, please get in touch with us uh, via Twitter. Or if you've got any suggestions on what to do with spicy tomato chutney. (laughs) And a Um, trouser press. And a trouser press. Please tweet us on at Food Talk Show. Um, If you want to listen to any of our hundreds of podcasts, go to foodtalk.co.uk or on the Great British Chefs website. We've got some good stuff around the Food Talk shows too, haven't we? We have indeed. indeed. Um, Please do have a good week. Um, We'll uh, see you next week. Goodbye.